Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. David, uh, I'm not trying to self self be self important or anything. I'm just you know, deep voice, deep very voice, co- very close to a microphone. We're we doing deep very voice, clo- yeah, very close to a microphone. This is as deep as it gets, folks. Like I have a really whiny kind of nasal. This is my AS ASMR AMSR. I don't know even know how to say it. Amser Amser Asmer Asmer. I'm having an asthma attack. I guess it's better than Aspergers. Um, the the Cartman. The Eric Cartman Aspergers. All right. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, we had our interview yeah. with RNA Music last week, so we didn't get to talk about a lot of the topical stuff. Thanks to thanks to my and Angela. I'm going to let Jim run most of this episode tonight, but I did want to bring up one thing, and I'm not sure if it's on his list, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go first with it. Um, and that is uh, the reverb controversy. So. Oh, yeah. Everybody's upset about a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. Everybody got the email for reverb that says we're hiking our rates to an extra percent or whatever percent and a half to 5%. I think it's 5% now. It was 3.5. If you do a reverb sale process, of course, that's an extra like I think it's like a 2% or something. But anyway, I saw somebody post today. They said basically it's like 8.5% to do a transaction on reverb now if you do everything through reverb. Um, So to break it down, it's still cheaper than eBay. Um, cause I know that people say, well, eBay's at 3.5%, but the problem if, with eBay at 3.5% is you don't get the shipping label decrease that you get from reverb. You can get a shipping label through eBay, but it's not going to be as decreased as the reverb. You don't get, um, you get like your PayPal fees are going to be more through mm-hmm. eBay than reverb. So when you're all said and done over at eBay, it's like. I think it's like 11% or 10 and a half. It's still slightly more. And I think, I think reverb sort of knew that like they, they couldn't cause reverb obviously is owned by Etsy. Now I think they have some people there that really understand e-commerce and they're like, we really can't attempt to be better than eBay in terms of the service we offer, which I don't know if you've realized this, but like eBay is an aging platform and it kind of sucks. Uh, I hate their user interface. I hate, shopping on there i hate how the it's it's a coin toss in terms of who they're going to side with in a dispute um there's a lot of things about ebay that i am not a fan of and i've had bad ebay transactions we talked about on the show i want to preface that and say the only bad ebay transactions i've ever had which there's not many of them have been while the show was going on so um, reverb. I've never had a bad experience dealing with somebody over there. I know people have had bad experiences with dealing people on reverb. Um, I, I think this price hike is not aimed at kicking everybody in the nuts. Uh, I think the assumption a lot of people are making is that this is done to cash in because Etsy bought them and it couldn't come at a worse time because of COVID-19. And I would actually argue the other way around. I would say that this is happening because of COVID-19 because 
Reverb has to raise the price hikes because there's more transactions going through. I saw something like a 14% increase in e-commerce in the first quarter of 2020 is what, I, what I'm being told. Now, remember, the first quarter includes January and February where people are still doing brick-and-mortar purchases, right? Um, so just March and April is a 14% increase, which puts us on track for like a 30% increase in the second quarter, which means yeah, that is- Reverb's feeling it. Right. They got, yeah. they definitely, and as both of us being in the back end of companies and myself in the government where we do software and server um, management deployment and such. Um, that means more work. That means uh, a lot more on the back end, uh, more people. Uh, because you cannot automate all this stuff. As much as people think that a lot of stuff is automated on the back end of servers, whether you're hardening them, uh, deploying software, testing software, developing software, these are all things I do, by the way. Um, those kind of things, there's a reason that it costs money to do that and that those people are paid well. You, it, It's hard work um, as far as long, um, strenuous, uh, people are always on your back. What's wrong with this software? How come when I click here, it doesn't work? How come when I move two pixels over, it does? I mean, it's... <laughs> well, I think I think HW, Tone Junkie, had an interesting slant on this. And he did a video. Okay, so he's done two videos. He did one. It was up for like six hours. And basically, they took three nails and two sticks, and they put them up there, and they hammered them through his hands and feet. Um, because he was coming out kind of in support of reverb on this. And he was basically saying, and this is the perspective I want to put on this, because like I certainly understand the mom and pop frustration too, but he was basically saying, look, for mom and pops who in the first quarter of this year did not have a website to actually conduct sales through, which is a significant portion of mom and pop shops in the United States, reverb became their platform. Yeah. Okay. And so for these stores... They're only gonna it was stay, their franchise. They're only gonna stay alive so long as they can continue to participate in that fourteen to thirty percent growth. And right. so they're all scrambling right now to figure this out, which means that Absolutely. I think Reverb also may want to play make some improvements to the platform to support mom and pops. Now and that. That comes with cost. That original letter, though, if you've read it, I don't know if you've read it, Jim, but it's not, it's very like thin on the language of what they're actually going to use this increase to do. But they talk about marketing, they talk about support, which is supports what we were, we, we had discerned. And we know support's expensive, but, um, but from the marketing perspective, it's like, the hell do you have to, re- what are you going to market on Reverb? Like, well, Reverb, okay, so if I go to Google right now, and I type in Gibson Les Paul Standard. Reverb is going to come up as one of the places where I can go get one. And it's going to be in the top three. It's usually Sweetwater first for me and then, you know, Guitar Center and Reverb, right? Um, and so when you put that in perspective, like, you're in the top three search results for retailers in the United States. You're not even a retailer. How can you be upset? A- well, okay. So I, I think that, the marketing side of it is that they get um, they get that little sidebar. That's what Facebook. I'm wondering is if like they're gonna um, they're gonna bolster that kind of stuff. But I, I kind of see it as not yeah. relevant at this point. 
Um, um, and let me let me come into it from a different perspective. I'm going to come in front to it from a business and transactional expense. Um, so every transaction, like you said, you're protecting, right? There's protection for the seller and for the buyer. Right. Ergo, there are costs involved in an that. insurance there, policy. And those who have called Reverb know that it costs money to put a customer service person at a desk. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and maybe every days, every 20 calls costs them a hundred bucks just to answer yeah. the phone call. That's, you just, know, that goes on for a day where people are going back and forth. That may cost them a hundred dollars per case. Right. And that, um, and then there's emails because we think that most of the emails are covered um, manually or I mean, uh, Automatically, and it's not a lot. Somebody's drafting it, and there's a back and forth before that process goes out. It could take them six hours to draft a, a promotional message. And if you've ever, and I know you have, now that we've got people working from home, you've got Citrix um, to deal with. You've got licensing. If you're using to deal Citrix, but that. but yeah, those kind of softwares, yeah. right? Regardless, yeah, Citrix. Um, if you're using, uh, um, what is it? Uh, Any of them. Uh, Cisco's Cisco's op option, or you're using Terratella's yeah. option, or you're using whoever's option. Um, we use, uh, what do I use for, uh, I use Teams. But every time you have um, X number of licenses, you know, Microsoft doesn't sell you. When you're a company, Microsoft doesn't sell you a license. Yeah. They sell you 50 pack, well, 100 pack. Well, unless you're, unless you're small business. And then that's the thing. Reverb yeah. is less than 100 employees. They're yeah, probably but, in the neighborhood of less than 50. Um, Probably. I've seen their office. Well, like I've, I've been, I haven't been inside, but I've seen their office. It's not big. It's small. Um, the feeling that there's more customer service people spread in different areas. That are, I don't, again, I actually don't think there's that much bandwidth there in terms of customer. Cause they, they list their customer service positions here in Chicago. I see them pop up frequently and it's not like, it's not what you think it is. It's it's not like a call center. They're not anywhere near as big as as any of their competitors. When Etsy bought them, that was like that was like you know See, big government kicking over the anthill. I mean, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and Etsy is bigger. Yeah. Um, and of course they're folding that right. Like any company that buys another right. company, they're folding that into their processes. The, right. The people that are probably the only ones keeping their job in a customer service person. Yeah. Well, um, no, actually, they, a lot of the, a lot of the, they've, as far as I know, because I actually know somebody who works there. Um, as far as I know, the, uh, I mean, they, they've left it largely intact, which is pretty surprising, but I think it's like, it's not broke. With, and because Etsy sort of knows, like, their model is yeah. not perfect. They're kind of trying to learn from it right now. I, I do suspect they, in the very near future, we're going to see some changes, but right now, yeah, they're. Well, Etsy, Etsy might change towards. But either way, what I'm saying is it's a bigger it's a bigger company, bigger ownership. Right. There's, there's more overhead. Um, and then um, there's. So. How do I say this? The. You're going to have more hours. You're going to have different hours. You're going to have more coverage. You're going to have more people when you anytime you scale, you have to scale with it and you have to be prepared for scale. Um, but all I'm saying is there for them to cover you, you know, you, you, for your transaction and the, and the, you know, the buyer, the seller, so on and so forth shipping. Um, I just had an Etsy transaction where they had to give me all my money back. Cause the, the box got crushed. Um, that, that process, 
that whole thing took four days, five days, um, because it had to get shipped back. And then right, right. See, yep, it is destroyed. They saw the pictures and said, yeah, we're going to do it. Ship it back. They saw it and then they, they refunded my money. It wasn't really any big deal. But the, but the fact is that I'm getting at is here that, that that's got to come from somebody's pocket. Now, if they're insuring it through a third party insurance company, which is a possibility, then they're still on the hook for that insurance, the cost of that insurance, whatever that is. Um, so, we're, you know, you've still got things that scale up. And when you're adding, like you said, that was your point in the beginning. When you're adding uh, sales, you're adding scale to that need, whatever that need is. Um, so I, the marketing side of it, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. Remember, we don't do a lot of B2B. We don't see a lot of B2B marketing. And that's a that's a thing that Robert Jackson does. Um, so he does B2B music industry stuff. Yeah, uh, now, well, so. I mean, I I probably know more than you think I do about it, but but that's because I come from a uh, background of doing consulting and stuff and working with other companies that are all business to business. Like you couldn't do business unless you had an account kind of companies. And uh, I mean, I know some of the distribution companies like Music Corp and, and all the other ones that are behind the scenes that distribute the products and all that. And like, that's fine. I I don't think Reverb, and we had this conversation offline about, you know, Reverb potentially becoming a retailer like Sweetwater or something like that. I really no. don't think that's ever going to be an intention for them. Uh, they want to be a service platform. There's good money in being a service platform. Like eBay's made a killing at it over the years. Uh, I suspect that they're really actually wanting to help mom and pops through this because I think there's still sort of a grassroots mentality. I don't think their corporate overlords have like tightened the reins yet. And they may be looking at this as like the last way to save the industry, um, like a personal crusade kind of thing, because they're a small company and they have that kind of leadership over there. It's weird. It's, it's like the cult type thing they talk about, with like Google and places like that, where it's not really just the dollar that's running everything. It's the, the magnetic personalities that are that are leading it to, um, which the guy who owns Chicago Music Exchange, I think, has since sold CME. Or he's no, he sold. That's right. He sold Reverb right to Etsy, um, and he was like, kind of cult leaderish in the way that he approached things. He's a cool guy apparently, but uh, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about him. But I've heard that you know he's very like charismatic and magnetic. So it, it, it is what it is. We don't. I mean, only history will tell us what happens here. Uh, I think for the mom and pops I've talked to who are like, you know, this is a real kick in the kick in the nuts. Um, most of them are already established in some way with like another platform like Shopify or uh, Wix or somebody like that where they can do sales transactions. Um, and they're kind of like, well, I don't pay those kinds of fees over there. So why would I want to continue to use Reverb? And the other problem I have with it, and this is a note for Reverb, I actually reached out to them directly. I sent them an email and I said, hey, I got some suggestions for you. Why don't you make it so you can actually search your zip code on your website? Because the crap about, like, yeah, you if you don't know this, there is a way for you to search your local town. So Ugh. you can go on Reverb and you can use in colon, I think it's in colon, and then the name of your yeah. city. Yeah, I have to use a little bit of code. But if your city has two, two, like a space in it, then it gets funky. And if your city matches somebody else's city, you know, like, like Glendale is a place in California and I live in Glendale Heights. 
So that makes things a little bit dicier. They really need to add the option if they're trying to if they're trying to rescue local businesses of saying, "All right, find me stores within eight miles of my location that do in-store pickup and what items they have so I can buy online. If they really want to do that, that's what they need to do. Um, I just don't see them making any major changes to their UI. I mean, honestly, Reverb hasn't changed their UI much in the last two years. They added Reverb LPs. Remember that when they went to the records? They they started selling records well, to Reverb. Trogley, his, his, he had a whole episode on how they have changed some of the stuff. When you, when you go into the page, look at an item, the way it's laid out has been sure. modified. Sure. What they're but I'm saying the basic oh. functionality that they're offering, other than the layout changes and maybe some some minor things underneath the uh, underneath the item listing page, yeah, they've changed that stuff. I just don't think they've changed the search engine much. I don't think they've made it user friendly enough to to be like throwing these kind of bills out there and saying, "Hey, if you're a seller, you should really use our service now because your stuff's going to get really really noticed." Uh, I think that that's kind of a misnomer, and I think it could be improved. Um. I would I agree with you. Um, so, you and I both watch different YouTube channels, and there was a YouTube channel uh, that will remain nameless uh, that recommended that when you buy from Reverb from a mom and pop to help them out with this. And I do not condone this, by the way. What you do is you find the name of the mom and pop, and then you go around Reverb and you call the mom and pop directly. You make yeah. a deal. Then he made another suggestion, and this is another one. Um, I'm going to say not legal advice, but not exactly the smartest thing you could tell people to do on, on YouTube. He said, then what they'll do is they'll sell it to you and often not charge you ta sales tax. Okay, that is problematic for both of you. Um, I And that is... Not I work good. for the Association of Legal Administrators, folks. I cannot condone this kind of activity. You're going to get in trouble. That is not good for either one of you. If you I'll tell uh, you why I'm both that. If you go, but, if you go, I'll, I'll, let me start. If if you go around Reverb, first off, they're going to catch you. Um, I have been in transactions where people have tried to go around Reverb and pay me in cash at a local pickup. Uh, they will catch you. They will get you in trouble. Um, and actually I ended up being the guy that like was asked to pay in cash at a local pickup. So the guy wouldn't report it or something. I forget it was, but anyway, I wasn't at fault. They actually came to me and asked, did you get the item? And I said, yes, I got the item. Was the sale conducted through reverb? And I said, well, through the messaging system. And they said, yes, we can confirm. And then they said, we will pursue him for the money. And I was like, okay, because I wasn't at fault and they knew I wasn't at fault. And they actually told me nothing's going to happen to you because you didn't do anything wrong. He did. So, um, and the other side of it is if you get, if you don't get ch charged sales tax these days, um, there's a reason at the end of your taxes, it says, have you purchased anything and you didn't pay sales tax on it? Um, and if you say no, and you lie about it, it used to be not a big deal, but now these online transactions, they are very real. And we have a minimum in the state. We don't even have so like you can't even lie about it because you have to pay a minimum amount regardless. They know you're yeah. conducting online transactions. If you don't, you're going to pay the minimum. Um, so otherwise, they come after you. <laughs> yeah, so it's just not a good idea to to first of all skirting around reverb. If 
this is my thing. Yeah, you have no protection. Wants to use refurb, yeah, you're not protected. You are not protected. Now, maybe the mom and pop's um, on the up and up, but I've seen some mom and pops that operate pretty shady operations. So be very right. careful with that. Right. And we're not, we're, we're definitely not telling you that you shouldn't go to RNA music in, in, you know, no, no, in no, no, Texas. No, 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 no. That's not what we're telling you. We're not telling you shouldn't contact them directly. But if you find something on Reverb, then that's the direction you should go. Um, and I, I just, how do I say this? It is a possibility that those are the kinds of things that are the other reason that Reverb has to increase its prices. Because guess what? They're the ones that are that are hosting the servers, that are hosting the, the pictures. Everybody thinks that this shit's free. Okay? No, they're, pay they're paying it's an Amazon free. Web Services bill. That ain't free. Somebody, Yeah, somebody's paying AWS, which is very expensive. Especially when expensive. you want to shop at 2 o'clock in the morning and not actually buy anything. Yeah. I mean, these are in the tens and twenty tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the. I'm sure that theirs is in the tens, but um, for web services per month, yeah, um, <clears throat> those those fees come from somewhere, sure. and you know, um, it's surprising that Facebook hasn't introduced something. If you want to do it that way, then put it on Facebook and say willing to ship, and Facebook will then open it to the world, and you can do that. Yeah. Um, so. If we're when we're done with with uh, uh, our friends at Etsy slash Reverb, I want to talk about Facebook Marketplace. Yeah, go for it. I'm done. I've got. I yeah, I'm definitely done. So, so I bought this guy on Facebook Marketplace, as everybody knows. Yeah, the the flying V two for our audience that yep. only listens. V two. The ones that yeah, only listen. The listeners. The the V two that's behind. It's the head. one with the ugly Dutch carve. Yes. The, the... <laughs> Looks like a cutting board when you flip it over. Is it is that Dutch carve or German carve? I think it's a German carve. I, I'm I'm Dutch, so I always you know. Yeah, I think it's I think it's German, but uh, you you could be correct on the Dutch side of things. So um, let's talk about some Facebook Marketplace faux pas. Do you got a These couple? In, I've got a couple, and um, you so, need to send me those images after the show's over. There, we're gonna splice them in. Yep. So. Oh my God. Oh, they said something went down. You know, I've been having trouble with Facebook Marketplace recently. That's not a surprise. What what actually works at Facebook properly 100% of the time? I, I I see plenty of stuff that I don't agree with on Facebook 20 or 100% of the time. <laughs> For some reason, Facebook I've really Marketplace comfortable has been broken. With I this is not a political comment. I want to make this very clear. I have become very comfortable with the snooze button on Facebook, and I have no problem snoozing you at a moment's notice. So don't feel bad I'll, if it happens. It could happen. I'll tell you, it does happen. Oh great, my freaking uh, um, nine a.m. conference call just told me that I have to be on it. How many hours ahead of time was that? Um. Yeah, Dude, we we wrong. did a full system upgrade within with a uh, like thirty six hour notice, and and we were not ready to go. <laughs> I was so watching Teams first, chats on Sunday. <laughs> my first faux pas in Facebook Marketplace is don't don't talk about how you don't like your amp, and then because you like another type of amp, or you would you route another and then say, I want you to trade me straight up for this amp. So, in this in this week's um, 
Facebook faux pas. Um, we've got a WTT, want to trade. I imagine that means what it means. Uh, Fender Tone Master Deluxe Reverb 65. Oh, you so sent me this one. Yep. Uh, 65 reissue Deluxe Reverb. All right. It says free. I hate it when people put free because it's like, oh, free. Ah. Now that means and then, I don't know how much I want to, I want you to pay me. I bought a tone. This is what I love. I bought a Fender Tone Master Deluxe Reverb a few months ago and I love it. It sounds great. Okay. Why are you selling it? Why are it? you selling it? <laughs> it's super lightweight. The built in attenuator is awesome. Okay. But I miss having tubes. So if anyone has a 65 reissue deluxe reverb in the same condition and want to trade, then hit me up. Here's the problem you've got with that, folks. I knew buying my Fender, there it is, my Fender Tone Master, I was not going to get the same resale value used as a, a twin that, mine's a twin, that, um, you know, I would get if I was selling a tube used. I knew that. Don't you know what, it. though? Like, I, I, Jim, I actually think you might actually be in that ballpark of being able to trade your straight up for the for the tube amp version. Because yeah, twins, they, their their value plummets like a rock. But the yeah. deluxe, <laughs> that's <laughs> another question. Because deluxe is not a twin and it's not 90 pounds or 85. Right. And so here's what here's what's killing me. This guy wants, he says so many great things. And he says, but I miss having tubes. In other words. So does everybody. So does everybody. Every time I play this thing, I go, I could play this Marshall. And it sounds so much better. You really but think you really think the twin the the tone ma- I haven't heard the tone master yet because you know we've been on lockdown. But uh you really I can th- tell you this. Here's the thing about the tone master that that they don't tell you. This is not in the brochure. The tone master sounds great when it's at the when it's not turned down. Okay. When you let the attenuator up, okay, and you turn and you play with the thing called the volume knob, which is, I know nobody knows where that is. Then it sounds good. Okay. You, you turn, you attenuate that. Cause I was, I was playing it at the house and I was like, oh man, a tone sucks. And I was using my little um, pedal board that I'm using for, for open mics. And I was like, oh man, this thing's got no life at all. What a buzzkill piece of crap. <laughs> Because so, you're not pushing the speakers, Jim. Has nothing to do with yeah. tone to, or tubes versus no. solid state. It's just volume no. and pushing the speakers. That's all that That's is. Right. The speaker isn't doing any of the of the work. It's just the the tone circuit. It, so it's. I I've always likened to the speakers having saturation. It's right. a certain point you push enough volume through them, and they do like this thing that that the speaker kind of opens up, right? Uh, and that's a problem with my my the Mesa boogie that's underneath the kitty blanket back there. Um, when I play that head at apartment friendly levels, cause that's what I live in in a condo over glorified apartment. Um, it, I cannot turn it up loud enough to get the speaker to saturate and to get the power amp to actually, it's like, it sounds like it's like running on a quarter of a tube or something. It was, it's weird. Um, but it just had, it's just neutered. There's nothing to it. Um, I can tell you right now when I play the Marshall, I don't have 40 watt mode. I don't like it. 
Yeah, and that's because you I, like I to push it. the speaker. Right. Uh, well, you know, there's there's other parts of that too. You may not like it in pentode mode, which that's basically what there's a, a triode pentode switch on that. Yeah, thing. triode triode mode is the uh, smaller version. Right, right, yeah. and and the same thing on this guy. So like, that's not gonna. So what it does, it affects the tone of the amp more than it actually affects the volume level. People are right. like, oh, it's gonna cut my volume in half. No, really, what it does is it makes it so that your power amp compresses faster. And yep. if you like an amp with a lot of headroom, that's not what you want. <laughs> that's not what you want. Um, I actually prefer amps with quite a bit of headroom, which is something I'm yeah. finding. So, uh, but yeah, this 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 whole like Facebook Marketplace ad is just hilarious to me. Like, hey, I bought this amp because it was the flavor of the month, and it was it was like a hundred dollars cheaper than the real deal. And now I decided I'd rather have the real deal. Like somebody yeah. t take this this turd because because it's obviously not what I want. And you know. That's the other the other component here. I have said this for years. I do not think that the 60s era, 65, 66, 67 era uh, Fender amps are good pedal platforms. Um, in my estimation, and they, to give you a perspective where I'm coming from, I'm Jimi Hendrix School of Music, right? Whole idea is like you get a Marshall, some big fat mids, a little bit, uh, uh, you know, uh, an interesting low end character. You turn it about halfway up. And then you drive the crap out of it with different pedals, particularly like fuzz faces and stuff like that. And that's where you're going to get your, your, you know, like your core tone. If you're going to do that with a fender, you're not going to be real happy. And I know there are like, I, there are people that, that listen to the show. I know who use fenders. Um, I, I'm thinking of one person in particular, um, who's got like a massive board and he's running like three gain stages and four gain stages. And it's like, well, in that case, you're really just using it as a clean pedal platform. You just want to make loud box, right? And I think even in their situation, like, if I had a speaker simulator, I'd be fine. i just run all my pedals in the speaker simulator and then run that out to a, you know, PA. And it would be the same experience. And I know that's like a generalization. My point is, like, you're not getting as much out of the amp as you think you are. Um, right. But I've had those kind of reissue amps. Like, I had that Princeton. That thing sounded awful. I don't understand why people love Princeton so much. Um, because I, I, it was just, it was a really harsh treble characteristics. And I think we talked about on the show. I said there was something going on in the super high frequency range. I know enough about frequencies now. I've been doing a lot of mixing and stuff lately. It would have been around 3K. There was something like in, in the area that really messes with people's ear. 3K, 5K. Maybe something, you know, between five and six K that was like a really uh what do you want to call it? Um, like screechy kind of sound when you'd run and I was running basic drive pedals through it. Tube screamers, um, a clone clone, you know, and then like my ethos. And it, it just didn't sound good. Um, so I sold it. I and I don't miss it. Um actually the guy that owns it is probably listening to this show. Um, it's not, it, look, if you can make it work for you, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, tell you, you shouldn't do it. But I, but I just, for me, it was like, this is not really a good pedal platform. So when they did these tone masters, I, I just kind of looked at it. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess it's a make loud box. I just, I just don't see the, I just don't see the function of it. I don't. Does yours have a, does yours have a, um, a, uh, effects loop? Because and that's oh, that what, makes it that, even worse. 
that doesn't make a lot of sense to me only because they said they want it to be closer to the um uh I'm looking for that other ad by the way. Um they wanted it to be closer to the original. So um they uh they went to um where they don't have an effects loop because the originals don't have effects loop and I'm like but the originals don't have an attenuator or a USB out either. Or a, um not a USB out but a a DI out. So who cares if you put an effects loop? In? They really probably should have put an effects loop on it just because I'm willing to bet you that there will be one after I bought mine. Cause I bought mine early that there will be an effects loop in them. That's well, what's going to happen. Oh yeah. There's going to be a tone master too. And I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if the tone master two doesn't have a bigger range, like an 18. It'll, have a, it'll have a USB out. It'll have, um, self loadable, uh, th IRs. these are the three things. Yep. IR loads. Um, uh, effects loop and uh, oh, I can't remember what the other thing I wanted. Crap, there were three big things people wanted in these and an effects loop, the IR loader, and probably um, oh, the DI totally sucks, but that's because the IRs suck. Well, I was gonna say that the they probably need to put in uh, like MIDI switching or something, yeah, so you can change your settings via MIDI, but. Uh, I mean, that's all the advantages of a digital amp. And those are not expensive things to add on, folks. Like, this no. is this is a no-brainer. I don't understand why it's not there to begin with. Um, actually, the, the omission of an effects loop is a total deal-breaker for me. Completely, 100%. And I'm a digital guy. I like digital gear. But that, I, honestly, just kind of doesn't make sense to me. Um, no. Now, so herein lies the problem, right? When these amps came out, people were like, that's just as good as the tube amp. That's just as good as the tube amp. I can remember the Andertons video and the comments section was like, tube amps are dead. And all these people were like, it's just as good. It's like, I can't tell the difference. Uh, sonically can't tell the difference. Then you got this guy. I still like tubes. Obviously, there's a difference, right? He's not I, blowing smoke, I don't think. I think that's... I'm going gonna, gonna to tell the truth. Every time I heard the tube and the tone master side by side i could tell the difference just like that i could t every time that uh anderton and peter nore tried to say i can't hear the difference i was like oh bullshit i can tell the difference right here in my cell phone i'm not even listening to it my computer i can yet. hear the difference but but here's the but here's the reality but, it was not a difference that was going to be present in a band mix right and I'm going to say this, and this is probably the more, this is the one that's going to piss a lot of people off. I actually preferred the Tone Master when they put pedals in front of it to when they used the regular amps. I actually liked the Tone Master better. It handled the pedals better. And I thought that the clean tones were crisper, brighter, and easier to hear in a mix. If that's what you're going for. Definitely. Because yeah, and, and that I mean when I play a fender, that is what I'm going for. Right. Well, so the reason I say this because like I actually have a totally different interpretation of what I want to hear when I hear a clean sound. Based on what you just said, like that's not what I want. I want big fat and kind of muddy. Like I want it to be a yeah. little bit more like dirty and ugly. And I um Yep, and I want it to be jangly and crisp. I yeah. want it to I want it to be like like fresh bread when you just open oh, a, a warm loaf of fresh Gross. bread. It's like, oh, oh, so yeasty and terrible as, oh, as Jim drinks a beer on the podcast. So good. <laughs> what? 
drinking a beer on the podcast. No way. I we don't do allow anything like that here. Um, yeah, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> I have. There is a drunk episode. It has never seen the light of error, but there is a drunk episode. Oh. Yep. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Jim. Uh, I I don't I I'm not gonna fault you for buying the Tone Master. Like I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. I think there's definitely like a class of people, and I'm not saying that there's like bad people or anything like that. I think there's a class of people where that amp works well in their environment. Now me, I have the Kemper, right? And so I find myself I'm looking at an amp and I'm like, I wonder if there's profiles of that. And this happened to me this week. So I was I had a moment. I recorded this video, and maybe I'll splice it in here. Uh, hopefully, or just a little sample of it, and it can play in the background or whatever we're talking about this. Um, and it's using uh, the Tone Junkie Purple Plexi Profile Pack, which I paid full price for. Well, I paid the discounted price when it came out, whatever he gave out as the discount. Because um, it's because it's worth a million dollars. The list price on it is a million dollars. And then, and then, it's, and then it's marked down to seventy bucks. And then he had a sale, so I got it for like thirty. Um, <laughs> so anyway. I paid 30 bucks for it. Um, I, you know, honestly, like, we had HW on the show. I haven't been thrilled with all his profiles. I think I grilled him, and I gave him a really hard time when he was on the show. Um, and it, just, like, making him reveal that the BE100 that he did was done with the with the ox, which was, that was, like, I, I don't think he was trying to hide that secret, but it was, it was like, kind of a revelation to me. He's like, yeah, see, I knew it. I knew something was wrong with him. Um... And I, I, I'll tell you, uh, I, I come across amps frequently that like are, are profiles frequently, not just from him, but from other people who are like, yeah, I kind of like the sound of this, but it's not good enough, right? The Purple Plexi is legit. Um, honestly, I, I, I really think this is the best Plexi profiles that I've seen yet. Um, and that's saying a lot because before I was into train wrecks, that's what I was after. To the point where the Purple Plexi is so damn good that I'm not really all that worried about a train wreck at this point. Um, I might my ship. My whole focus shifted in the other direction. Like, I need to find uh, a Plexi that I really like. Um, and so my thought process was, do I get a Marshall? Do I get a Germino? Do I get, you know, and so I started looking. And actually, me and Jeff, Yezzy Decky were having a conversation about it. He was up. You should, you know, look at this brand and look at this brand. And he's like, Far Fargan Miniplex and all these different amps. And like, um... What I'm finding is that Plexis are really expensive, even if they're, like, handmade copies. And what's hilarious to me is as they're going through all this process, I'm like, yeah, I probably should just buy a Bogner. Because I'm like, the Bogner Ecstasy is basically, like, a super modified Plexi anyway. And it has the blue channel, which has Plexi mode on it, and it sounds great. Um, I have... I think I've played one at some point along the path, but I don't remember it well enough to be like, yeah, that's the amp I want. And it was probably at a time in my development as a musician that I probably wasn't really sure what I wanted. Um, I looked on Sweetwater the other night just to see what they were going for because I knew they were expensive, right? So the Bogner Ecstasy is $3,700. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's why people buy the, the pedal. Oh, it's even better, Jim. They make a twenty or a thirty-five watt head now. Oh, really? And it's only two grand. There you go. There's a big smile on my face. Cause I I feel like uh, I hear sleigh bells somewhere. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping <laughs> that that uh, oh, oh, oh. that uh, the credit card fairy will appear. 
and grant me three wishes and pay off my debt so that I can start to accumulate wealth <laughs> and, and maybe buy one of these bad boys. But then, I, so, yeah. I, so I get thinking, I can't try one. It's COVID-19. What can I do? Obviously, I can get profiles of it, right? Um, so I started digging around. I look on YouTube for profile reads just so I can hear some sounds before I commit to, like, what brand I want to buy. Because it's not an amp that HW is going to do, right? Like, this is not really an instrument house. And um, came across the video today. And it's a guy who's profiled his. He's doing the... Here's my Bogner Ecstasy 3534, which is a small amp, 3434, versus my Kemper profiles of this amp. Now, let me start off by saying is he doesn't, I don't think he actually profiled this amp. I think he has profiles from, oh no, I think he did say he profiled, take it back. But then what he proceeds to do really boils my blood. So he takes the Kemper and he profiles. And then he says, I'm gonna play the, the profiles back to back. Now, he profiles it through an ox box. And this is why this is relevant to the tone checking thing too. Uh, he profiles it through an ox box using a V30 loaded cab, kind of basically like what the cab from the, uh, from the actual amp is supposed to be. And I am thinking that the Kemper, when it sends a signal through the ox box, gets some weird interpolation results yeah. and doesn't know what to do because the it's a very different representation to what I've heard with my own ears profiling my own amp using a microphone cable and that sort of rig like nothing else basically between just microphone cable profile and um, so this is why this is relevant this point because so they says alright alright yeah, so they're not close so now we're going to refine the profiles means he's going to use the refined process in the camera and and he actually basically lays out how he does this all the knobs are at noon then we're going to profile the amp and then we're going to play it with the knobs and play the real amp versus the, the camper amp and it was close but it wasn't great then he did the refined process and it got close but the blow end was really lacking in the camper and then he goes for the kicker and he says now we're going to tweak the eqs and i'm going to change this eq and this gain knob and we'll see how they match. Let's see what the output of the amplifier sounds like. And I, I at this point, I went off because I'm like, you don't even understand how the Kemper works because it doesn't model the controls. It's a snapshot that you have post amp EQ on, like at a board that you can manipulate. You're not gonna have the same result twisting that bass knob as you do on your amp. Like the 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 fundamentals of your test are flawed. And then he goes on to say, well, it really doesn't match it at all. And like, it's a cool tool. I'm going to keep it, but I still prefer the real amp, you know? And I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. You should prefer the real amp. Everyone expects you to prefer the real amp, but then don't stack the deck against yourself and right. show everybody like, oh, this Kemper doesn't sound anything like the real amp because I'm going to do stupid stuff that isn't what it's designed to do. Well, um, that's like when, uh, when people are comparing the Tone Master to the real thing. And then they don't have it on 85 watts or 22 watts, depending on which amp it is. Yeah. And then they're not, so they're not pushing the amp the same way. They're not pushing the speakers. Well, the, the two speakers the same way. They're not doing things the same way. I mean, when I turn this thing to 85 watts, this thing in the house, let me tell you something. It is ear splitting. Well, that's it what I said, Jim. Hard. <laughs> when we had HW on the show and you were talking about 
tube amps doing that thing. I'm like, you're talking about volume. You're not talking about tubes. Like, yes, I am. <laughs> I, you're talking about volume. And, and, and that's the thing. I've seen solid-state amplifiers that are properly designed. They're never cheap. They were never yeah. cheap. The ones yeah, that are like, good, many of yeah. the oh, so here's the here's the uh, the story for the day, right? The Paul, Reed Smith, Paul Reed Smith, yeah, in the nineties decided he wanted to build an amplifier, so he paid a lot of people a lot of money to design this ultra reliable, amazing sounding solid state amplifier, and that reasoning behind it was he wanted to make sure that it was something that you could take on the road. And that it would be a workhorse and it would do everything you could possibly need it to do. And do you know what happened? They engineered an amp that was so expensive to produce that there was no possible way they could sell it. It was good. Great even. Because Paul's talked about it. He said it was great. But he said there was no way we could sell the damn thing. Because each one of you'd be paying four grand for a solid state amplifier. And nobody was going to do that. Right. So here's my point. If it's not designed right, it's not designed right, right? And everything that you see in solid state is designed to be a price point, and it's a low-end price point. You grew up in a time where there were high-end solid-state amplifiers available. Of and course. I'm not talking about Roland JC-120s. I'm talking about really high-quality solid-state amplification. I know the JC-120 oh, well, like is kind of a one-trick pony, but... Um, yeah. The Vox Super Beetles. Mm-hmm. They were they were a fantastic solid state amp. Um, like I said, right now, if somebody asked me, "Would would you buy a Tone Master again?" I'd say, "Yeah, of course I would," because at twenty two watts, this thing starts to punch, and anything at twenty two or above, I'm getting I'm getting those sweet spots. I'm I'm compressing the speaker, not the not the power amp the speaker. Yeah, because I'm if you drive that power amp, compression. if you drive that power amp hard enough to distort, it sounds terrible. Sounds um, like ass, but that's what Fender amps do. They sound like ass. Well, push the power amp right I would venture a guess that well, that has a power amp that you really actually can't hit it hard enough to distort it. Like it has a super yeah. overpowered ice power supply or power amp that then clips off the top level, you know, in the class D section so that it won't because class D distorts, you'll know <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the most unpleasing yeah. thing you've ever it heard. It does not sound good. And so you don't want that, but I'll tell you right now the the um so I played this uh at um a show and I wish somebody would have recorded Godzilla cuz I used the um I used the Big Muff you gave me um yeah good choice only, only pedal going in only one needed it, it sounded great it was the Les Paul Les Paul <laughs> through um the Big Muff um that was the only pedal turned on into the front end of channel one on the reverb side of the twin reverb. And it sounded amazing. And let me tell you something. When I hit that um, and, and I was able to, to just slide those chords around, it sounded neat, sweet. It was right in that sweet spot, but I had it set for 40 plus Watts, whatever the 44 Watts, whatever it is. Cause it goes up to 85. So I had it just under the maximum wattage. So I was pushing those speakers. Both of those speakers were, just grinding they were sounding good um the les paul gave it just enough low-end girth to really just make it and that that and the fact the tone knob was a little drawn back on the um on the muff but 
if I can find somebody that took a video of it, I'll do it. Otherwise, I'll just re I'll redo it in the house, but it just won't have the same punch as when I did it out in in uh, in a live situation because the band was playing. It sounded so good. And the other guy, he uses a uh, he uses a high end uh, Fender to um, solid state amp, an older one, and it sounds really good. Um, you can make a solid state amp sound good if you have two things: a good solid state amp. There was the ones in the '80s that were coming out. Well, who was making those? It was Randall and uh, Randall made some decent ones. Who? Randall. Yeah. And uh, oh, PV. PV made some stuff. Legend had had. Legend. Uh, um, they were kind of like a little brand, but. You know, when you have people who actually use them on stage and in studio, like, you know, Billy Gibbons, uh, obviously there's something going on there and you can still find those. They're actually bargains. I've seen them for as low as 400 bucks, um, yeah. but they have a really good sound for a solid state amplifier. I think the problem with solid state amps and really part of the reason why they get a, a horrible reputation is because right. of things like the Marshall MG series. And also because when you turn one of those amps up, um, they didn't limit the output to like the edge of distortion. They kind of wanted it to act like a real tube amp where it would like distort at a higher and and when a solid state amp distorts, it's unpleasant. They would have been yep. better off building a preamp circuit that emulates power tube distortion right. and then just use it as a linear volume and cut it off before you know distortion sets in from the transistors. Um yep. I think, yeah, I think PVs make some decent ones. Uh, I always thought they were shrill sounding when I was younger, but I think that's more or less because I thought everything was shrill sounding, um, mostly because I sucked, um, <laughs> you know, and then you don't want to hear the sound of yourself. Uh, I had a PV Rage, and I know that, like, there's a lot of love for those amplifiers, and they're little 8-watt things, but... Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Leonard Skinner using PV uh, solid-state amps? I don't think they were solid-state. No, I think they were, like, but butchers and that kind of stuff. Like the mace, PV mace. That's or whatever. a possibility. I and you know PV is like not PV is not everybody's cup of tea either for sure. Um, so that's like its own. That's really its own comment. And, yeah, PV uh, mace and a PV deuce. Yeah, and that's not a surprise. I mean, that kind for of some reason I thought those were solid state. No, there. Uh, most of the PV output of the the eighties was uh, tube. I they they probably had some solid state stuff in the eighties, but they didn't really like take off with their good designs until trans tube, and that was a result of John Brown, who was the guy that designed the fifty one fifty. He was like a genius, and uh, he was actually he was a re actual like electronics engineer, which is another whole conversation. Reinhold Bogner is a guy. I think he actually is an electronics engineer. But he grew up like a mad scientist, you know, building tube amps and stuff out of garbage, pretty much. And that's how a lot of these guys start. Many of them don't go down the formal education route. It's like Brian Wampler is a classic example of a guy who builds great pedals. But he's never really had a formal education in electronics engineering. And so somebody like John Brown, he can engineer a circuit that emulates the sound of a solid state or emulates in solid state of a tube amplifier. Uh, Tech 21 is another company that does a pretty good job building solid state circuits that can sound pretty pretty much like a tube amp. Um, I would argue that I think the the Sansamp stuff's not as good as it hasn't weathered the storm 
the way I thought it would uh, versus some of the digital products that are out there. But you know what? They're pretty passable in a modern age. And with enough EQ, and if you're smart about how you use them, you can make that work. Um, can I? Yeah, yeah. Can I buzz, buzz in about the, the solid state thing? Um, yeah, I think I, I was wrong. The, the, for some reason I thought the ace and the deuce or the, the mace and the deuce were solid state only because they look like a solid state PV from the front. Um, anyway, this is what I want to say about solid state amps. And the reason I think a lot of people hate them, me included with a lot of them, um, is that it comes down to what we were talking about earlier. It comes down to pushing it. Typically when somebody buys a solid state, they have the expectation that the solid state is going to replicate the sound of, or the look, sound, and feel of a tube at bedroom volumes. Okay, reality check, folks. Not going to happen. Unless you have like a two-inch speaker and very low expectations. It's just... Well, what's... I, I, yeah, I, I agree. But what what's everybody's interpretation of what a solid state amp is supposed to sound like based on? You yeah. get the Marshall MG. You get the Fender Champ 8-inch speaker thing. You get, you know, the Champion 600 or whatever it is. You get the um, uh, Vox Pathfinder, you know, with an 8-inch speaker. I have that. I a actually gorilla, still, ha- I still have that thing. A Gorilla, a Crate with an 8-inch speaker. Right. You know, you're not pushing the right frequencies through that. And then to make matters worse, the engineers know that's going to go in an 8-inch speaker amp. So what do they do? They modify the amp to work better through an 8-inch speaker. Right. This brings me to my Facebook ad, which I don't have the ad sitting in front of me. I can probably look it up. Um, show listener Paul Pickling, uh, Patreon supporter and and uh, extraordinaire, sent me an ad, and you're gonna laugh, Jim. And I, I'm I'm not doing this to to uh, bring make no, light, okay. make light of your situation or anything, but I, I this this ad pretty much got me because it, it it led to another discussion, and that is uh, he sent me an ad for a Spark guitar amp. Oh, used one hundred dollars listed in Naperville. Listed in Naperville. Uh, it is and now jokes aside. It is listed by a woman named Karen Miller. Um, Karen. <laughs> All right, Karen. Jokes aside. <laughs> uh, description: Spark amp, like new, but doesn't perform as promised. Kind of like a toy speaker. Waited six months for this thing. Maybe you'll have better luck than my boyfriend did. Oh my God. Which leads me down the which leads me down a whole other path of questioning for this ad. Did she buy this for her boyfriend and then he got it and he was like, "What a piece of crap! Why couldn't you bought me a real amp?" Um, He's gonna sell that in a minute. Yeah, that it's gonna go right out the door Um, because you bought something you didn't know what it was, right? Like that's why you have this ad that's like ugly on the product. Uh, But it is interesting, right? So. Here we got somebody who thinks they're getting a real amp. They plug into it. It obviously sounds not what they're expecting. They wanted a real amp. So what do they do? They throw it up on eBay to, or Facebook just to get it out of their face pretty much. Um, and I I sort of feel like that's kind of like the solid state thing. When you get your first amp, which mine was a Brownsville with a six and a half inch speaker. So, so Sam oh, Ash God. house brand. Yep. And like your first you're enamored with it, right? But then as you grow as a player, you're like, it sounds pretty bad. And yeah. the first time you turn it up and it starts farting out, you're like, huh? And then later on, you hear these other tones like, like you're listening to Crazy Train, right? You're comparing that to the Brownsville. And you're like, what am I doing? 
Um, yeah. And it's a six and a half inch speaker. If you plug that amp into a 12 inch speaker, you're going to get better results, which is um, Jason Fuzzmonger can attest to this. He's a, he's a show listener and he, he's actually involved in a lot of the podcast communities and stuff. He's been, he's actually been on the show. Um, he takes crates. He's been known to take crates and plug them into nice speakers, good speakers. Cause a lot of crates do have 12 inch speakers and take them in to plug them into a four by 12 cab and he gets good results out of it. Why is that? Because those amps are designed to meet a price point. They put the crappiest, smallest speakers they can fit in the cabinet. They make a cabinet out of literally firewood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not even, it's not even like driftwood. It's firewood. It's, it's, it's kindling. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen people burn them and they burn real fast. Um, and I, that's, I mean, that's ultimately what we're looking at here. Uh, that's right. And then you get, if that's your first amp, right? And then you go to buy your next amp and the guys you say it's a piece of junk and the guy at the store says, well, you should probably probably move up to a tube amp. And then your first tube amp is like so much better. Is it really better because of the because of the quality levers or better because of the price point? And that's the question I ask you. Is it better because of the price point? Now, this yeah, generation, I, Jim, for, I'm going to let you take over, but but this yeah. generation, Jim, is kind of spoiled. Because the solid state amp is dead. I, I said it. It's my controversial statement of the episode. And I might actually make that the title. The solid state amp is dead. It is. We have digital amps now. Yes, they use a solid state power amp. But the fact is, you can do a lot more with an amp that's digital and cheap. I, All right. So, as you know, I ordered a Spark. I don't have it yet. Um, it's supposed to... It should ship next week, um, is what they say. Here, hang on. Let me get my uh, let me, me get my calendar and a dart. Yeah. Have you got Have you got a magic eight ball? Will your amp ship? Oh, maybe. Um, but uh, so, am I going to marry a tall, handsome man? Um. Anyway, signs so, point to yes. Signs point to yes. It's a possibility. Um. So, uh, the 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 thing is that um, uh, uh what I was saying is that. Uh, there's another channel, another YouTube channel. Again, that same channel I was referred to earlier, um, who said, "Oh yeah, if I'd have got a Spark, I would have never bought the um, the Katana." He said, "I love the Katana, but if I'd have bought a Spark, I would have never bought the Katana." And um, I found that interesting. I had already purchased my Spark at this point when I heard this, so I thought to myself, "Huh, when this comes in, it better be damn good," because the Katana was was damn good. You know that. I wouldn't have bought five of them or six of them if it hadn't. They're still pretty good. I mean, uh, if you only got 300 bucks to spend, that's a pretty good way to spend 300 bucks on amplification. Yeah. Yeah. You get, you get the, the amp in a bag for $292. Well, I think the spark is, I I wasn't saying the sparks a great way to spend 300 bucks. Oh, oh, the, the, Camp, or I mean the, the katana the, uh, because I mean like if you have a hole in your amplification like you don't have an amplifier katana uh if you have an amplifier and you're looking for something to practice with maybe a spark it just depends yeah. on what your needs are and whether you actually need that um actually I've been you know I do so much silent practice where I don't even plug into anything that it's almost like I don't really need an amplifier to practice right. um right I do but that's beside the point it helps, but I, 
but yeah, it, it, it helps it, it. There's something about it to me. Look, I'm an older guy. These things, these cans, they bug the hell out of me. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a headphone guy. I never I don't did do that either. Really used to um, playing through in ears. It's tough for me. Um, and the truth is that there are so many different things that sound so good um, just through your ears. Um, plus, I have tinnitus that you wouldn't believe um, from <laughs> from years of standing in front of drummers and and being the lead singer. So there's that too. But anyway, what I was um, what I was trying to get at is this, and I'll, uh, and that'll be my video for next week. Is I'm gonna show people what this amp does at the different without changing a single setting, no pedals, nothing on guitar, nothing. I'll just change that attenuator and the gain and, and the gain level at your recorder. Yeah, yeah, and the gain level at my recorder because that will have to be. I might just you know set the microphone in the middle of the room, a la. Um, Old. But you could set it up for the loudest setting and then right, just dial right, up all yeah. the way through and then we could gain stage it in post. Yeah. Because one of the things that I want people to realize is how uh, how much the, the, the amplifier really opens up at that point. And it's just one example. I'm not trying to say mine is great, mine is better. You should always buy what I buy. What I'm trying to say is, because I'm not going to buy 50 different amps that, you know, we're not a channel of that size and we're not people who need all those things but the, I, but the fact is can you gig with this for sure can you be heard over everything man mine was sitting on the floor behind every and you could still hear it screaming um i'm gonna put up my don't fear the reaper uh video that i took um and uh it, it was live and i had a couple of boo-boos in there but you'll it, it gets through um Oh, I had mistakes and, uh, in my video that's earlier in the episode, so don't feel bad. This is the this is the first time that all of us played it together, and one guy had never played it before. Um, so it was really just a it, – it, it's actually very good um, considering all of that. Um, none of us played it together ever, and that one guy had never played it before in his life. Um, but anyway, so what I want to try to emphasize is – you have to have an expectation, a realistic expectation of your your stuff. You can't say it's just like when somebody will go, well, it's not fair to make that sonic um, uh, comparison to an iPhone speaker. You need headphones. Oh, those headphones aren't good enough. You, you know, earbuds aren't good enough. Get cans. Oh, those cans aren't good enough. Get speakers. Those speakers aren't good enough. Get monitors. I mean, if I have to go, things through all should that translate. Right. That's if a principle through, of recording. Exactly. If I have to go through all that crap to get to, to to hear the difference, there's not enough difference to matter at that point to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Someone might say to me, Jim, you don't need a, a Les Paul. You could you could use we we were talking in the group earlier um about some the stuff. EC versus we're, we're trying Les to keep Paul, our, right? Yeah, the EC versus the Les Paul. But to, to be honest with you, I love the EC, the EC one thousand. I've owned two of them. I'm actually looking at another one. The, but I I don't think right now I need another guitar. I've got four really good guitars behind me. I've got a really good acoustic. You know, that's those are my main guitars, and those are the ones I play all the time. Matter of fact, I was playing both of those today. You can see the chords are still plugged in. Yeah, my Les Paul, my Strat, and just to show the kids, my sons, 
I was like, let me show you what it is to play a strat. And I played the strat through the Marshall and the, and the Les Paul through the Fender and then swapped them and swapped them back to show them how it, how it translates. I said, the strat sounds a lot better through the Fender as just guitar into Fender. Boom. Stratocaster Fender into Fender all day long. Um, but uh, I said, but if I put that Marshall into that Les Paul, there's just, or I mean, that uh, Les Paul into that Marshall, Whatever. there's just a little magic there. You know what I mean? Um, uh, point is um, that I, I think that it's, it's the expectation that you have. Most people don't expect. They're like, oh, it's a tube amp, so it's not going to sound great turned down. Okay. And then they go, but my solid state that I saw so-and-so YouTube channel doing this awesome thing. And it wasn't that loud when I was listening to it. You know how loud it had it set. And even if it did use the direct out, you, it, it, the, you know, the, the, it's always about the expectation. If I put the Marshall into an Oxbox and send the Oxbox into the thing, it's going to be a completely different thing. than if I'm standing on that stage with that Marshall screaming behind me. Yeah, because you're not going to get the feedback and all that stuff. All right. You know, that's... Listen, my comment about the Oxbox earlier, um, I don't have yeah, an Oxbox. I'm not saying anything negative about the Oxbox. I Please am. Don't. I am. And, but but that's because... Look, we've got a digital apparatus with Kemper, Kemper, right? People are making profiles of the Oxbox. They're probably making profiles with other IR loader type devices, Studios Capture and all these other things. Yeah. Um, that's probably what I'll get. I'm looking at it two notes myself. Uh, I I think it would be uh it would be a sure useful. Yeah, and and that's an option too. But I'm actually yeah. leaning towards two notes, and we can talk offline yeah. about why I think two notes. I think is probably the better of the products right now. Um, mm -hmm. there are some things I don't like about it, but somebody I know who's very against walled gardens has been playing around with two notes stuff, and they're like, yeah, actually, I think two notes is pretty good. So I'm I'm kind of coming around on that. But now you're talking about the captor or the torpedo. You're talking about the torpedo, both. right? Both the captor oh. and the torpedo. Like I'm looking at the two notes line of products. I think oh. the captor is a good product as well. Anyway, um, just kind of going back through this conversation, like with the Kemper, you're running a test signal and you're running it through something that's going to filter and modify that test signal using digital signal processing (DSP), and then it's yeah. going to send out. A non-analog, you know, it's, it's going to be an analog converted digital signal, right? So what that means is it's not going to be the same as putting a microphone in front of an amp. It's going to be interpolated. Frequencies will be modified. There will be artifacts in that signal outside the realm of human hearing and also artifacts in that signal that are inside the realm of human hearing that we don't notice because we're human, right? Uh, yeah. and that's clearly affecting people's ability to model some of this stuff in the Kemper. It's just an EQ curve. No, it's not. It's a saturation curve. It's all kinds of different stuff that's going on when they run that test signal and you can hear it in the profiles. I can tell you right now, um, hearing that guy do that with the, um, Bogner amplifier is night and day compared to what I have done running my amplifier with an SM57 one inch off the cone. It's a totally different sound. It is a totally different animal. So just understand, like, 
a lot of this modeling digital stuff is so like untested territory. People haven't figured this stuff out yet. And they're acting like it's fact. It's done and it's over with. So when Jim's talking about pushing an amplifier hard and he's having this experience where he's realizing, you know, it just doesn't sound good when the when the antenna range rolls down. Yeah, no, really. It doesn't. It doesn't sound do good when you do it on a tube amp either. Um yeah. and and that and that's why attenuators are fundamentally kind of a broken product in the sense that, yeah, it'll do what you want it to do, but if you want to curb that thing down to negative twenty two dB, it's still running at negative 22 dB, which means that the speakers are not getting hit with that volume. It was running. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if that's offensive, so I'm not going to engage in that comment. Oh, I just love the movie. It, it's a great movie. I'll be a little offensive. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, it is Forrest Gump. It's not simple Jack. Which is or way more... The whole idea of Simple Jack is way more offensive. Uh, if you're not familiar with Tropic Thunder, I highly recommend you watch it and then oh. cleanse your soul afterwards because there's Jack so much... He's only half of the problems with that movie if you watch it. In a, and that movie's not even that old, but it's like really offensive now because of all the stuff that's happened in recent memory. That movie is insanely offensive. Um, anyway, booty sweat. Um, so I don't know. You got another topic? Are we, are we done for the night or what's going on here? I think that's it. Um, like I said, when I was talking about the cap, the two notes, I know the torpedo captor is, the okay. captor is a torpedo, but I meant the studio one, the torpedo studio, or were you talking about the torpedo captor, which is just the little box that you put. Yeah, and um, I, so I, that you can grab I, it and send it off to the. I think the captor fits me a lot better. Yeah, um, and the captor is an attenuator; it's not just yeah. a load box. Uh, yeah. I would like to use the captor to take profiles, but I'm terrified of that because I've heard Oxbox profiles, and I'm like, these are not correct. There is something going on, specifically in the low mids, and in the upper echelon frequencies as well, which leads me to believe it's an artifact problem. All right, that can I, the can I say something about, Yeah, that's right. I, I, I want to say something about that. So the objective of the, of the, and you're right. When you would, when you would do that, obviously you would then attenuate the speaker, right? Mm -hmm. the, so we're, we're going right. We, that conversation took a full circle mm -hmm. because what we've done is we've said, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to attenuate my speaker. Well, what's the fucking point? I, I I don't have the output of my speaker as I would want the output of my speaker right. in my temper. Then, right. then I just undone it. Well, and if I use the DI out, exactly. I just use the DI out. There's no reason to have a freaking a, a, in the first place because the Kemper has it's already it's not, you're not gonna make a profile of what is effectively a profile. Great Scott. <laughs> so, like, yes, of so course. Run the run the fucking speaker the way you want to run the fucking speaker. Find yourself, uh, get yourself a rehearsal room. Go, you know, go rent a rehearsal room. room. Get all your settings right. in order. Have them written down. Go in there. Do your profiles in twenty minutes and walk out. That's right. And walk um, out. You, you can rent a rehearsal space for an hour for, yeah, for hundred bucks about, or oh yeah, sometimes less. 
Well, not where I'm from. <laughs> but at Guitar again, Center, we allow people to come in and run um, stuff in the rehearsal rooms for, I think it's $25. I, how would they feel about me coming in and running a 100-watt amplifier or 400-watt amplifier at full volume? They or... might want you to do that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah. It would, be, it would be before or after. Uh, uh, I would have to uh, talk to the manager and be like, hey, there. I really want to make some profiles on my amplifier, but in order for that to happen, I need to come in for four hours. And and then I would be like, hey, can I rent that while I'm here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that. Doesn't that make sense, right? You come in, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to rent this and then take your Kemper in there and like. Yeah, they're making money. They wouldn't care. Do you really think the guys care. at Guitar Center would give a crap about no, that? The guys at Diesel will. Rats, Did we ever talk about that? Yeah, Diesel. We did. Okay. I didn't know if we talked about it on the show or if it was just a Facebook yeah. group. But uh, yeah, that's like disturbing to me is that they're going to try to copy protect the sound of an amplifier now. Um, yeah, that's not going to happen. I don't. I. They can detect it now. So let them detect it. Let them, let yeah. them, let them kill their own business. Because what's going to end up happening is you're going to have a revolt of people who are like, dude, why are you putting circuitry in your amplifier to do this and charging me for it? Exactly. Exactly. That's ridiculous. But, you know, like I said, I mean, run the amp the way you like the amp. That's the reason I'm buying the captor. The unfortunate fact is, believe it or not, the captor, I can't, that's the, oh, that was the third thing I said they add, they need to add to the, um, uh, Defender uh, Tone Lab, Tone Master Series. I almost said Tone Lab for some reason. Box. What is Tone Lab? Box. Yeah. The, the Tone Master Series. The third thing is speaker out. They need to allow for this. And then they don't even have to worry about integrating. Uh, what kind of speaker is in there? Uh, there's two Jensen speakers that are supposedly. Um, are they special design Jensen's? Yeah, of course they are. Which leads me to believe they're not guitar speakers. Yeah. Which I is don't why know, there's yeah. no speaker out on that amp. That's, yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. Well, it, it makes me, the reason that I'm afraid of that is because, um, yeah, yeah. It, that I don't need to say anything. But I can take the, the DI out and not emulate. Then I could take the DI out and push it to something like this. Yeah, and that sounds hilarious to me that you're talking about that. using it using it two notes for a tone master. No, I would use this for that. Right. <laughs> for the Marshall. That's why I said the two the two notes sure. makes more sense for like a Marshall. Yeah. Or something like that. And and actually that would probably be so if I got that Bogner that I'm looking at the 30 if I play one and I like it and I decide to buy one, I would then have to get a two notes captor. Or something like that, so that I could use it in a you know in another context. But yeah. honestly, today, I mean, there's a whole new set of guitar tools. We're we're running over our uh, allotment here, but I want to. I'll yeah. spend a few minutes just talking about the you know the tools that really probably should be in your cabinet if you're a regular gigging guitar player now. Um, which is once an attenuator, DI load box, right? One of the, you know that that does that that those things. And I do have a DI load box. Well, I don't have a. DI have load them. box attenuator, like the whole kit and caboodle. Like right. if you don't, if you don't have one that does all three, you got one that does each, right? Or two that yeah. do, you know, whatever. Um, that that is particularly useful. Every guitar player should probably have some sort of digital amp for those situations yep. where, hey, I don't know what I'm need, what I'm going to need for this gig. 
And then you probably should have a tube amp that can cover a lot of bases and a pedal board that to support it. Um, yeah. And I mean, like, that's a big expenditure and investment. Considering that your average guitar player that's playing out in clubs, like with regularly paying gigs, is probably got a thousand to two thousand dollar guitar at minimum, um, and a backup of you know probably similar value, and then so that's two grand, and then you've got your DI thing, which is like five hundred to a thousand dollars depending on how many boxes you have and what they do, and then you've got your amplifier, which the average gigging guitar player is using a tube amp has probably got a thousand bucks wrapped up in an amplifier. I mean, you're talking seven or eight grand to be gigging for 20 bucks a pop. And or 40 you didn't even mention the pedals. You didn't even mention the pedals. Oh, you, yeah. I, I left I that out intentionally. Know. Yes, I left that out intentionally. I'm at like 1200 on the one pedal board. Yeah. The value. Dude. If I had, yeah, if I had paid full price for those, I'd be right around $1,200. People don't realize what this stuff costs. Like, sometimes you got to stop and you got to think to yourself, like, wow, this industry is really expensive. And it is. And I'm all and for think, paying people a living wage, but this industry is not trying to, to save money. They're not trying to get cheaper. No. They're trying to get more expensive. And and I think for next week, um, I'll do some recordings. But what I want to talk about next week is I want to talk about the fact that there, for some reason, guitar players have no problem spending thousands of dollars on a pedal board. I mean, thousands. But they'll go cheap on the amp. Or they'll go cheap on the axe. And then they wonder why the their pedal pedals don't sound that great. Yeah. And they and then yeah, exactly. They're like, hey, how come these pedals suck? This guy's doesn't got sound guy's, guy's like got a real clone and he's plugged into like uh 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 Hot Rod Deluxe, you know? It's like or or uh, uh Fender Blues Jr. <laughs> yeah, Blues Jr. <laughs> oh man. Or even even worse, they're they're plugged into a uh uh katana. Oh Katana's I've seen that stuff before pedal. too. I've also heard the people talking about selling their Bogner ecstasy to get a katana. We've talked about that. Yeah. I've got I've got seventeen hundred dollars worth of pedals and a katana. You, you maybe you should change maybe you should switch. Let, let, let's look at that let's look at that ratio a bit. You want to be around fifty fifty, right? I mean <laughs> logically. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have been David, and that's been Jim, and he said it too, and tonight we've been, he saluted you guys, and tonight we've been Practical Guitarists.